Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host, teacher and socialist Andy Lipson and community organizing socialist Tony Cepeda. Uh, we are online at what-s-left.webnode.com. Um, please subscribe, rate, review, turn on your notifications and share your favorite episode wherever you found this episode. Uh, I would like to now tell folks that if they would like to follow us, uh, continue uh, being with what's left, you can find us at what's left over on another channel since this channel is most likely going to, it, it's endangered and most likely will be shut down by YouTube at some point. So at this point, we're asking folks to subscribe, rate, review, <laughs> turn on notifications um, uh, on, our, on our what's left over channel. As, um, so hopefully this episode will still stay on and the channel sticks, uh, but people can begin mi migrating over slowly. <laughs> Thank you, Andy, for doing that to us. <laughs> Jake is Jake is And Jake now. Jake's, <laughs> Jake's. How's he stand up? <laughs> <laughs> That's a reflection. And, and Jake, because you're here and you are a contributor and a partner and associated to us, let me introduce folks for people that have, um, heard Jake on our channel before and on our podcast, if you're listening. John Kleisek is the author of School World Order, The Technocratic Globalization of Corporatized Education by Trine Day Books. And he is a contributor to New Politics, the Center for Research on Globalization, Op-Ed News, The Intrepid Report, and uh, The Dissident Voice. Uh, welcome back, uh, Jake. Thanks for having me back again, my friends. <laughs> yes. It's good to have the gang together again. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we've decided to speak on this um, issue of vaccine, pas vaccine passports or immunity passports, which will go on and state what are the differences in this episode today. But any sort of certification or any passport or anything that identifies you as having had an antibody or the vaccine is the conversation that we're going to be having today and what we think about it, our thoughts and uh and so I personally look forward to the discussion. Yeah. Maybe we can start off why we think this, uh, this subject is important um, to begin with. Yeah, so uh, I can start. Um, for me, um, you know, we've been talking about this stuff, you know, how some of this stuff could happen, right? Like from the beginning of COVID almost when, since we got in contact with Allison and, and Jake. And for some people, you know, it felt like science fiction, I feel. Um, and like, you know, that it was a far-fetched thing or that it's not, you know, something to worry about, at least the people that I talked to. But uh, here we are, you know, and, and the, it's materializing in front of us. These, uh, you know, vaccine passports. I personally, um, I'm interested in this because I've been wanting to travel to Europe since last April. And I've had vouchers that have keep getting pushed back because, you know, they keep closing Europe and I haven't been able to make it out there with my mother, you know, a trip that she's always wanted to make. And so Europe now is, is at a reach for, you know, for me, you know, a person that hasn't gotten the vaccine. Um, not only will the border is closed, right? Like we can't, it's hard to travel there. And now I found out that the European Commission is uh, voting on uh, introducing a, uh, what they call the green... What is it? It's a green pass, basically. They're giving it some benevolent name, you know, like some holistic name, like the, uh, a green pass uh, to authorize people that have either had uh, 
COVID and shown proof of recovery uh, that have uh, the vaccine or shown a test. But uh, they are uh, trying to create this uh, Euro uh, European Union-wide uh, system to uh, decide who is able to come into the European Union and who's not. Um, and so I also looked into places like Latin America because I, I have family there and there's also restrictions. Uh, they're not uh, quite as strict. You know, I actually know people that have not had the vaccine that are currently down there in Mexico and Guatemala and Costa Rica. And all they require is a, um, a test. Um, I also went to the baseball game uh, the other day and they had a, a vaccinated section and a you know non-vaccinated socially distanced section. And so, you know, this the implications of these passes are not just traveled abroad, they're also, you know, movement within our, you know, act, daily activities, things that a year and some change ago we were doing without question. And so, and not only that, but I'm I'm hearing and reading more things about, you know, these becoming the norm for the future. And and so we're not even discussing how long this my these um passports might be in our lives and, and yet they're so intrusive. And so that's why I'm interested in this conversation, um, you know, to, to discuss the implications beyond the obvious, you know, restrictions, um, in what other ways will, can this become uh, intrusive in our lives? Yeah, and for me, uh, it's very, this, this thing about vaccine passports, personally is worrisome. Politically, I think there's all sorts of problems with it, but it, it very affects me personally. Um, it first starts with the fact that I'm, I'm afraid of these vaccines, like, um, uh, you know, from things like antibody dependent enhancement, the idea that once you get injected with it, and that's not a result of mRNA vaccine or adenovirus, that's just all SARS related vaccines so far there hasn't been an, a successful antibody uh, or vaccine produced starting with SARS and even going as far back as the first attempt to make coronavirus um, uh, vaccines back in 1970, I believe. Um, so so just the idea of the fact that I'm, they could inject me with something that could make me sicker if I get affected by a virus, you know, um, by, the, by that same coronavirus, let alone the fact that, you know, these these most of these things that are out there are either adenovirus or um, uh, mRNA. They have never been used in humans before, like not just around coronavirus, a vaccine made from any of these things. So this is experimental technologies and, you know, they're gene therapy technologies, but they're experimental in, in addition. And I, like I've been healthy most of all, most all my life, but these things frighten me. I mean, like I'm still, the capitalist class is still the biggest thing that frightens that shit out of me in terms of what they're willing to do to, but I would say I'm much more afraid of these vaccines than I am of COVID to, to be honest. Um, and I think that the, the statistics around the CDC statistics around this bear that out. Um, and so I don't want to take these vaccines, but increasingly I'm worried this year it's not true and possibly next year, but as soon as these get FDA authorization, these things could become mandated at work. And then in order for me to work in the presence of students, as opposed to work remotely, I have to accept this injection into me. Um, furthermore, like me and Brandy are getting married in October and 
we want to go possibly to Mexico after the wedding. We want to go possibly to Iceland as part of our honeymoon. And uh, do we have to choose now whether we take these very, for me, frightening injections in order to get there? That, and then like, like some of the things that I've heard, and this is, you know, with regards to like when I was looking into, I, I look at China as sort of the, the, the future, you know, because I feel like China leads the way on how the U.S. and Europe are going to respond on this thing. And, you know, they basically say, well, if you get the Sinovac or the Sinopharm vaccines, which is the Chinese vaccines, you can just come on it. You know, if you have the Moderna and Pfizer, you can come in, but it's going to be a little harder. If you don't have the vaccines, you can come in as long as you get antibody tested and PCR tested and you got to stay two weeks in a hotel uh, that you pay for in quarantine and then one week in your own house in quarantine. <laughs> like, so, you know, it's like, so to me that like you can see how everyone is forcing you into the same thing. And it's, 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 I mean, it's very, at one level it's frightening and it's really frustrating. And I really, I, at this point, I'm going to have to choose between what taking a gamble on my health or whether I can travel to say Iceland or Mexico or whether I can go to my work, um, let alone go to a movie theater, which I think is going to be coming up um, as well. So uh, I think these vaccine passports are very dangerous. And I, I feel directly the sense that somebody is forcing me to make a choice about my body or my freedom. Like all of you too. <laughs> I'm also, uh, well, I, I don't want to take the vaccine. And um, and I travel frequently every year. Um, once a year, I, I, uh, I, um, well, I travel to Mexico um, at least three times a year, and uh, and I and and France at least once. So I know that they that France started the COVID vaccine passport trial um, to begin reopening, and I and if they did do any quarantine, I, I'd be fine with it because I would be staying with my uh, my friends there, but. But I just to think that it's very restrictive, and even if I wanted to go, would I would I then be required to take a vaccine uh, if if I'm there? If the rules change because I'd like to stay there for two months or a month, would I would the rules then change and coming back with that? I don't know. It, it it's, it's it's all up in the air right now. You just never know what might what might change. I know in Mexico I could go without having to take a vaccine as of the moment, but just like both of you that have expressed this, it's it's a, it's very alarming to think that to travel you have to decide on what to do with your body. It's not really a choice. Then you have to then figure out other ways, and it's going to cause. And now talking politically, it's going to cause all these disparities and these divisions. And like Kenny was saying, some people are going to sit here who are vaccinated, others who are not. People who are masked. It's going to be distinguished because now the CDC is coming out and saying that there's a potential, there's a there's a possibility that now people who are masked, uh, who are vaccinated, don't have to be masked, and then you'll be able to physically be able to distinguish people who are vaccinated or not vaccinated by seeing who is being masked. Um, if you follow the rules, of course, given that this is right, but um, all kinds of cans of worms are being opened up by this, and I find that uh, uh, that we need to really uh, um, delve into this subject today and I hope people will stick with us throughout this entire sub uh, episode because I think what we all have con to contribute to this subject will really hopefully start the conversation at home, hopefully will be something that's larger, people will take on this movement of saying no, we shouldn't take this, uh, you know, 
and I don't want the government to be on top of me about what I do and what not do. I think that's that's not the government's business. I I, I don't think that we should, uh, under the name of COVID, begin to allow all of these things um, that we weren't okay with before, and now that the West is now beginning to be. Um, yeah. Um, so personally, yeah, my you know how it would immediately affect me personally would be one is uh, going going to work because I'm I'm a teacher and so you know that those are going to be one of the first places to implement that and we on one of our previous episodes we talked about the Microsoft Daily Pass which isn't a vaccine passport but it's an immunity passport and I watched that video again recently. And in there, you can schedule an appointment for your vaccine through it. So, you know, it'll have that record on there uh, if you do get one. So the first the immediate concern is work. Uh, and then, you know, like Andy said, and, and, and Eduardo and Kenny, uh, you know, I, I am more concerned about the damages from the vaccine, both uh, short term and long term than I am of COVID. And, and that's not just some hypothetical uh, surmise on my part. That's I, I at this point, I know one, two, three, four people that were seriously injured from the va- from from various forms of the vaccines. One person took the J&J. The others were uh, the mRNA. Uh, I don't know exactly what two of them got. I just know they were mRNA because they took two doses one got the Pfizer, I know for sure. Um, and, you know, I only know one person that was hospitalized for COVID. All right. So right now, anecdotally speaking, I know this isn't, you know, metrics, uh, but but if the metrics are what they they purport to be, we should all be having way more encounters with people who were severely sick, hospitalized, uh, intubated, et cetera, from COVID then we're damaged by these vaccines. And that's not been my experience so far. Uh, so those are the two immediate concerns. And then I, you know, another one that I hope isn't sooner than later, I hope isn't ever, is uh, getting food. You know, in, in uh, I believe in Israel, um, do they call it the green pass as well in Israel? Yeah. Uh, they're they're restricting access to, to grocery stores. So, um you know, I'm pretty sure we all, I need to eat, so that's pretty important too. And I just can I just add that as schools also begin reopening, that there are whispers of also vaccinating children, and um, and I'm deeply concerned about. Well, they're not just whispers; it's already started. I mean, Pfizer and Moderna were complimenting themselves on starting on children as a young mandating as- children. Well, not, yeah, I don't know if they've been mandated. They haven't been mandated in San Francisco, but increasingly that, that process has started. But yeah, that there, I think in LA, they were talking about mandating and, and I know we have to have some other things to talk about, but Eduardo, that point you raised about mask versus no mask, that's not a, that's, that's not just, a, oh, you could, you can get around that. Now, when you start to put in facial recognition technologies, now, when you start to put in facial recognition technologies next to information biomedical information that's connected to the to the face that can be recognized, now you can begin to start to see how these can be seen as crimes, not wearing a mask because you're not vaccinated. And so this, what you said, Eduardo, and I hadn't thought about before is not, that's not science fiction. That's like, that's part of how this is going to go. Um, and uh, so I, I actually think the point you raised about Fauci and the government telling people, oh, if you've got this vaccine, even though, as Jake mentioned, I think, 
there's no indication that it, it stops any transmission of anything or your ability to be infected by it. It's just these vaccines have only been, to the extent they've been tested, it's only about symptoms. Um, they're allowing people to, to not wear masks. Part of that is to push people into getting vaccinated. But part of that, I do believe, is, uh, is about creating this separation and then criminalizing the folks who don't wear the masks and, and they have the technology and they're getting that way, that point where you can be dinged like a, like a video camera that sees your car doing the wrong thing. Well, and then we'll get to this later. This is at the end of it, but many uh, researchers and scholars have pointed out that the digital vaccine passports, that those platforms can be expanded for other surveillance purposes uh, to track other biomedical records, you know, criminal justice records, education records, et cetera, workforce records. Uh, and one thing I, I did a little fooling around today, had a hunch based on what I knew about a few platforms, they pretty much all involve blockchain, right? And the graphics for one of the um, vaccine passports known as Immunitrax, uh, the company that services that, it's called Corporate Screening, the graphics they have for another platform uh, on this one suite of, of, of uh, devices or platforms is uh, they call it so uh, self-sovereign identity management. It's another blockchain platform and it's got pictures of the graphics is people with their devices and doing facial recognition on them. So, you know, this, this one company that's giving you uh, vaccine records and it does this thing, verify students, school records and others, it plugs into this blockchain and, and so do all the others. And when we, when we get down to it, we'll talk more about that specifically, but, you know, again, you're not just you're not just intuiting correctly. Like the blockchain system, which involves their distributed ledger technologies. In other words, it's a ledger that that basically keeps records of transactions. Those transactions could be your medical uh, treatments or your vaccines, but they could be criminal justice stuff. Do you got your professional certificates up to date? All that stuff. So, right, plug it into Internet of Things. Give you a face facial recognition. And like you said, if, if you don't have that vaccine, you got your mask off, they're going to know right away that you're, you're, Hey, you're supposed to have your mask off. Can you, did you want to mention anything about the travel restrictions to Latin America and what you know about that? Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, again, uh, by an, there is no like concerted effort in Latin America at the moment. As far as I know um, there, you know, everyone's doing their own thing. It's not, the same as the European Union, who's a block, and you know there will be implications as a block in accessing that whole region. Um, in Latin America, I know, for example, Guatemala is pretty strict, um, and um, it's kind of interesting actually that because um, Guatemala is a country I was born in, and so I you know kind of stay in touch. I have a family member that works at the airport, so this is how I know that they're very strict, and they actually suggested that we don't come to the country. Um, versus Mexico, that's a little more loose right now, Costa Rica, these are very touristy places. Um, and turns out that Kamala Harris just made a trip to Guatemala and Mexico to talk about uh, border security. And this is also Guatemala, I know that, you know, being a colonial holding, um, they, there is a, a kind of a wrestling of influence. Uh, Guatemala has received uh, vaccines from Russia, has received vaccines from China and from the US. And right before uh, uh, Kamala Harris made it to Guatemala, they sanctioned some of the officials of the country, some of the like uh, the political uh, heads 
they were sanctioned uh, right before she, she arrived to talk about border security. Because I think this is another application that uh, these vaccine passports are going to have is, is border security, quote unquote, um, you know, that limiting mobility of workers, you know, internationally um, and obviously being more insidious and efficient at, at deciding who's who with biometrics and all this stuff. Uh, even, you know, people who cross the border, we were just talking about these technologies, right? Applications of facial recognition, all this stuff to see who is a, um, you know, quote unquote, legal alien, right? Like, uh, or, you know, a documented person. So, you know, me being in, in that field of organizing, that's one of the main applications I, I see that it will be more immediate, um, you know, for mobility and tracking of international workers. The, and what this adds, this layer adds, when we talk about base, going to baseball games or movie theaters or going to your work um, or going into a hospital or going to a grocery store, is now the, the layer of control of workers that, have, that has always existed for the capitalist class when they've had this, these national borders. So, and, and everyone thinks that these borders are about making sure workers don't come in. That has nothing to do with why those borders exist as it relates to today. It's being able to control the flow of labor one way or the other, and to be able to make sure that if you, if you do come in illegally, then you are more easily exploited, exploited, your labor is more easily exploited. And then when we don't need you, we push you back out, right? So that it's, it, it's about the control of the flow of labor um, uh, externally to, the, to then have an effect on what you have to deal, what you have to deal with your, your, your native uh, labor force. Well, now that control is exercised, not just across national borders. Now your workplace represents a border. The grocery store could represent a border. The AMC theaters could represent a border. And all of these things now are now ways of controlling the flow of workers to the extent that they want to do it. They just have to change different dials on what what, what metrics allow you to come in and don't let you come in, and suddenly you you have an internally controlled workforce that is controlled with its own internal borders through a, through these vaccine passports, um, in the same way that they have been able to control labor around national boundaries. So I think it's important to understand that the way the capitalist class uses national boundaries is now going to control the the flow of labor is now going to be exercised internally in all these countries, um, and that's why. They are, they are racing to get to the vaccine passport. Israel and China are, are ahead. Europe is moving. The United States is starting. But in the United States, they're trying to move through the private sector, right? It's in the same way that the, the, the Chinese government feels more empowered to do censorship as a state thing. The U.S. state doesn't, oh, we're not censoring. We're just going to let Google and everyone else censor the hell out of you. you know? They're going to let the private companies do it in the same way that they're going to allow the private companies to be the, the, the way that I think the passport system gets brought in and then the state will follow in behind it. Might be not interesting to note as well um, that Real ID recently uh, became enforced in my state, Illinois. Um, now, I remember when they first pitched it, when uh, Bush was president, uh, and uh, this ties into what Kenny was saying, I remember that one of the uh, reasons they were pitching it was that, oh, it would help with border security, right, and tracking with undocumented peoples and stuff. Um, and I, I had always, it, because in Illinois, they, they we got, uh, when they passed that bill, states could apply for exemptions or extensions. And I, it, those extensions for any state that applied 
ended, I want to say 2018 or 2019. So pretty uh, interesting timing that pretty much everybody has to have real ID at this time when these vaccine passports could just be another one of those records that's on your distributed ledger on your blockchain vaccine passport, your, your real ID, uh, national ID card, whatever they want to call it. So, well, um, I thought this would be not, um, a good place for me then to discuss where um, some of maybe reformists or even people who advocate for uh, privacy rights or uh, against any form of surveillance within the system, such as the ACLU, and there have been other um, independent alternative news sources like uh, Democracy Now! or other sort of left-wing um, progressive um, news sources where they have actually been discussing this. Um, and I think that it would be interesting to see what our points of view is on this because they do actually provide some form of, well, instead of doing a digital sort of passport, we could potentially do this instead. Um, I, I'll, I'll just be sharing what, um, what those discussions have been around, which I, I think we agree with some of it, which is that this will have potential to, 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 to um, incentivize economically vulnerable people to, if, if we're talking about immunity passports, some form of be able to being able to distinguish between those that have antibodies and those that do not. First of all, there's issues around that because even the tests could be not accurate to run that. But it would then just make some people who might have some health issues in 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 countries where they're trying to compete for jobs be um, trying to expose themselves to COVID in order to get if, uh, some sort of certificate to prove their antibody. Um, they have antibodies in their work, or the discrimination of those that have um, antibody certificates versus those that do not, right? Um, I mean, I, I'm almost fearful that if I do become a teacher in SFUSD in the future and vaccines become required, I don't know if I'll be able to get hired <laughs> if I don't take a vaccine. Maybe if teachers who have been in there for a long time, as Andy, who's a senior, or Jake, who's been in an institution for a long, might be just given a waiver if they've been there for a very long time. But any teacher that is new might just, so this, okay, fine. They might come to a compromise saying that teachers need to then, any new teacher might have to take a vaccine um, um, if that's going to be a requisite, you know? And that's not something I I, I, I consider this as a future problem and also in, in, in other, the global south, where there's also competition for jobs, people will not um, be, people will be discriminatory for those. And that would then exasperate uh, racial and economic disparities. Um, and I, and I just think the health surveillance infrastructure that is being proposed by this, um, by the government, I, we talked about this with Alison McDowell, where there is a new system of being able, the internet of things, the internet of body that uh, there might, that our health is being merged with, infused in with this, the tech world. This I think is one way as a transition to be able to do that. It may just seem oh, as simple as, oh, you no, know, it's nothing like that. It's just a vaccine or immunity passport or anything that is sort of, but it is, is it key? And it's going to take many different ways for us to normalize and to, for us to, to, to begin to merge our lives into um, the uh, tech and the health industry being as working as one infrastructure. And this is going to be one of those. It's going to be, as you have mentioned once, scanning our faces, scanning our phones. Now everything's going to be digitized. 
So I I do see that there are going to be um, um, issues and problems. No, uh, one thing I am critical of what was shared on Democracy Now was because they do promote and they do share that it's important to take vaccines. That's where I disagree with them, and they do share that. So I, they they say, and this is their stance, is that not everyone has access to vaccines, and so it's still going to cause disparities for those that can have access to the vaccines and those that do not have access to vaccines. I'm not going to promote vaccines, but I'm going to say that I have seen even here in San Francisco, here in the Bay Area, where people are traveling to Vallejo, Vallejo or traveling to other like uh, Richmond, where they, uh, people who have, um, people who are uh, more economically um, comfortable and just trying to jump the queue, to get to those vaccines have gone over to other places that are more marginalized or low income neighborhoods and have tried to get those vaccines. And that in itself is going to cause the disparities too because of, uh, you know, it's just, you're taking away resources from a community that uh, might just need them. Of course, vaccines is not something I'm promoting here. I'm just trying to say that the vaccines are or any resource, it's 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 just people are just fighting, competing, elbowing their way to get some resource over other marginalized groups, uh, and then if people who do want to take the vaccines not going to have the access to them to travel or to do other things, or you know, and I I think that that's an issue. But again, I'm not saying I support the idea of getting vaccines. I'm just saying that it's becoming and almost at the very beginning of this. I mean, SF has had a good rollout, but at the very beginning of this, it was almost like the Hunger Games to get the vaccines <laughs> um, and, and causing those disparities. You know, one thing that signals to me that, you know, what's happening in the US is not about the vaccines, you know, exactly, is that, you know, the effort of vaccinating, at least in the Bay Area, because I know a few people in different, um, like departments in public health, uh, you know, in different counties here, is that it's a mess, you know, and, a lot, and by and large, it's just a, a piece of paper that people have as evidence to, to show that it's, you know, so at some point I feel like, you know, people are gonna be forced to be in this system and, and, and willingly subject, you know, registering for this system to have the ability to access spaces. So, it, it, you know, even if people like say, you know, find a, a, a you know, a workaround to be registered, even though they haven't gotten the vaccine, the fact is that they're gonna be in the system because the, you know, in order to access things, you, you're gonna have to be in the system. And so- That's true. You know, so to me, it's not, it's not, it's not just really about the vaccine, but it's also mm -hmm. about developing these systems and pressuring people to, you know, who are desperate to have a life, I guess, to register themselves willingly and, 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 you know, and comply to these systems. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Because like even like I have friends, my you know one of my family members just got the vaccine today. Actually, you know after so much pressure, even though we share our opinion, but it's fine, you know. And my other family member is starting to feel pressure because of the baseball games, you know, or or traveling, you know. And so people that are, have resisted this whole time, you know, getting the vaccine, are starting to feel the pressure. You know, they've resisted peer pressure, but then the the, the walls are closing in. So you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, I, I yes, I agree with that. And so to these passports then, um, some, some um, civil libertarians and privacy advocates have been um, 
supporting this idea of maybe how we can standardize a system, which still I think has issues in itself, but they've been, how do we standardize a system without making it a digital system? And they propose, and, and on the ACLU's website, which anyone can will link to, they propose um, that there might be, uh, instead of digital credentials, present um, a, a way to, um, to meet a crucial criteria that, um, that that we could potentially have another way of uh, making a system that works for everyone. And they state that it can't be exclusively digital. Uh, that's one. And they state that it, it has to it is to descent um, it has to be decentralized and open source, and it does not and, and should not be uh, tracking or creating uh, new databases. And these are from the ACLU's website, which I can uh, will link. And this is what they are proposing as maybe this is an alternative way of, of instead of digitizing um, uh, or any form of digital credentials, this could be a way to have a vaccine credential system that is standardized. Uh, and maybe we can argue or say what we think to it. Um, but th that that is, I think, um, um, what the, um, one of the ways that they are, are presenting this. I just say, just like the measles, and they do say it too, just like measles that no one's asking, and also you can have spread and flare-ups of measles vaccines, and no one is asking for that. I think we should do the same thing with COVID and flu. I don't know why. Well, of course I know why, but I'm saying it should not be about, um, there's obviously an agenda here because measles have been around for a long time and ha so has the flu, but COVID is obviously being used as a political, this is going to now ruin our channel, used as a political way to enter into, for a way for us to, to manufacture more surveillance, no? to create more, more surveillance. Uh, and um, if that wasn't true, then I don't, I, I mean, I, I just don't see any other, this is just, we're, we're entering a new age. Measles have never been asked for, the flu has never been asked for, um, for proof or identification. I mean, that doctors does say that list out if you've taken a measles vaccine or not, but again, that's all paper trail and it's given to certain, just like being in the school for children, but it's never to this level of, getting on planes or going to baseball games or going to a theater, no, it's, it's, it's becoming, I think people need to wake up and see this. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting to hear you say who are the, there was those democracy now people with their don't make it digital. Like ACLU. They, ACLU. Oh, yeah, that's even better. Um, the, ACLU. um, to make it, don't even, don't make it digital. It's like, I don't think politicians should lie. I don't think politicians should do just what the corporations tell them to. They're like talking like that, like they're like they're infants, okay? And they don't understand how the world works because, and, and they are trying to avoid the idea that there is a plan here, that there is an agenda, a political agenda, because the idea that you could say, well, let's just get everyone vaccinated, but we'll just use cards and keep it off digital. But that, the whole point, the whole point of this is to get everyone on a dashboard and to get everyone under the digital world in a world that is increasingly going to go remote. It is going to be increasingly separated. And they are using this round of infection and this round of COVID to make the first break, you know, uh, and there may be subsequent rounds to come again. So this is just people talking like little children who don't understand anything about the world. And I, it's useful to hear them talk because it makes me understand that we have to completely not listen to them um, because they have no idea what's coming. Um, and they have no idea to oppose it. Um, so that's the first thing I would say. And you can't, you can't take this thing on without taking on 
the notion of these vaccines and these vaccines. Like, there is no successful vaccination rollout other than stopping it. That's a successful vaccination rollout, pushing them all back and not, and not allowing anyone to be forced to do this. And all those things have to go back to being tested experimentally, not with the entire global population, but with whatever animal testing you have to start with. And people could probably say, I'm wrong on that one. And I'm open to somebody saying, you know what? Don't even let the animals get tested on these things. I can live with that. Given the, given the fatality rates on this thing, I'm not sure it's even worth it. So I could understand people saying, just you can use vitamin D, zinc, what is the other one? Vitamin A, you know, ivermectin, any, any, any sorts of things. And, and we'll just take, we'll stay out of vaccines altogether. This, these things aren't even worth the ferrets that will be killed and, or hurt in, in trying to produce, uh, quote, uh, vaccines that are actually safer. So no, you can't get away with it. You can't get away. You can't get, you won't, we won't be able to fight this without taking on the vaccination rollout. That is a part, the vaccination rollout isn't about COVID safety. The vaccination rollout is about getting us under these passports and everyone onto a dashboard and, and, and our lives digitized so we can be controlled. So I just think people have to understand that. ACLU clearly is not, so they will not be part of our defense. They will have zero role in defense. They will have only role in saying, no, it's true, Eduardo, I'm saying, they're gonna be part of the Trojan horse of bringing these forces in. Oh, just put it on a little piece of paper card. Well, some people are going to a piece of paper, but later, suddenly that piece of paper gets turned into your little Safeway card where you can only get the coupon as long as you get you go to Safeway with your little card. Well, that's what the whole entire globe, that's what the entire nation is going to be like as it relates to living, you know, and going to work and things like that. So I just feel like it was irritating to hear them say that kind of stuff because it tells me that they have no idea what's coming. Well, you're more generous than I would be um, <laughs> because... And I don't want to purport that I that I know people's motivations. There probably are a lot of people that do think that that's a, a a significant debate to have. You know, like piecemealing out you know the different ways to implement this system while maintaining equity and privacy somehow. Uh, but I would say that the propagandists, the PR people that you know write this stuff for Pfizer and Moderna and Big Pharma, that actually they're they are playing a card that's very common to to uh, eliminate opposition. So, you know, this in my book, I talk a lot about the Hegelian dialectic and I won't go too into it too much as far as all the history and all that. But simplest way to think about it is this. Right. You have two opposing ideas. Uh, you all should know this from Marxist stuff. Right. Dialectical materialism. Right. Except you can do it with ideas, too. Right. And if you know that you have one idea, which is, hey, uh, everyone's going to die from COVID. Then you have another idea. These vaccine passports are going to put you in a surveillance prison. Um, you narrow that down with some sort of a synthesis, right? Where So we're not going to just get people to not be vaccine hesitant. We're, there's, there is a large opposition to this and for good reason. So what we need to do is we can't stop the debate. We need to redirect it and narrow it down and have an argument about how to implement it instead of how to stop it. And, and that's, that is, um, you know, like I said, some people might actually think that's a real argument, but I would say that, you know, the talking points, when you hear that, especially on multiple media outlets, uh, I would say it's strategically it's designed to to divert us into a, a non-argument. Hmm. I want to show something. I want to show you something. So because about the animal testing now, uh, you know, I, I when I here's a book by 
uh, Jose Manuel Rodriguez Delgado. Physical control of the mind, okay? And um, this is where he did his research on brain-computer interfaces. So this is the type of research they were doing on animals. Now that's horrific, man. And there's no reason to do that. And, and, and this was in the 60s. So, I mean, uh, that's along the same lines of transhumanism as merging all your health records with a blockchain technology. I mean, all that's all you're missing with your devices is in your hand instead of in your head. And what I'm suggesting is that all this biotech research, all their viral vectors or mRNA, all this re-engineering of biology, it's on the same spectrum as that. So if that's disgusting to you, uh, no, we shouldn't mess. We shouldn't do that to animals either. And, and you know, if, just from a selfish perspective, you wouldn't get anywhere near people if you didn't sit there and uh, desensitize yourself to doing it to animals in the first place. Isn't isn't that like the sign of a psychopath, a sociopath? You know that when you like harm animals first, right, and then. Yeah. Armor, yeah, yeah. That's how they get started, typically. Yeah, serial killers, typically. Yeah. Jake, you shared on your channel, which we'll link in the um, this um, in the episode notes. Um, maybe you, if you find that you might have anything on Pfizer or anything on, I'm trying not to say those bad words, but um, if you have anything to say on what you've been sharing on your channel, which I I hope that we um, can get some of what you've shared from your email that you sent to us, uh, that would maybe contribute to this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, well, so uh, at one of the schools where I <clears throat> where I teach, uh, you know, the, we're doing the CARES thing over there, and so they were trying to implement new technologies for for the students to help. You know, they got that's what the money's given for. So they have these proposals, and then uh, we review them and all that. And uh, one of them was for a company that uh, partners with this other company called Corporate Screening. And um, I could talk more about the other company. It's adaptive learning stuff. Uh, but the privacy policy that it had, and I talked to representatives, explained that they would uh, share this adaptive learning data to this other company. And this other company is called Corporate Screening. And corporate Screening has a, this digital platform called Verify Students. It goes on your mobile device. And what corporate screening specializes in is background checks for uh, professional compliance, but also for if you need your vaccine records, they do criminal background checks, they do bi uh, biometric fingerprinting. So pretty much uh, they do all sorts of risk assessments for employee hiring. And they provide different platforms that go on a, a mobile device they can service these and, and the company basically it has them on, I guess they're different apps, but it's all on one suite of platforms. So, and they even explain how the Verify Students platform is tied to this thing called Immunitrax. And Immunitrax is basically uh, it's digital immunization records. Uh, it pitches it as though it mainly uh, services uh, healthcare workers. So people hiring nurses and stuff that need to have their, their vaccination up to date, but it's telling that it partners with this thing called Verify Students. In other words, uh, you know, it could you could easily put that stuff right onto the the uh, the school device and then have that have that re restrict or 
uh, enable access to the, to the school. Um, when I shared it on, on Twitter, uh, Allison McDowell apparently was familiar with it. And she sent me a little screenshot of this company called Medicat, which it is connected with. And, and I had noted that when I did the research because they mentioned Medicat in there. And the screenshot she showed me was from Medicat's website. And Medicat uh, provides services for, quote, juvenile justice health system. And they use the term juvenile justice wellness. And then they use the stakeholder capitalism language. But she suggested that this could be used for the social impact investment bonds. And she knows a lot more about that than I did. Than I do, but but my cursory understanding of it is basically just one of the pipelines through which you can uh, you can facilitate social credit through um, monetary incentives. Okay, on a, giving students uh, money to help them with uh, either in this instance stay out of prison uh, and 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 uh, to to service uh, and to and or restrict access based on that. So. Uh, I also see in there not just uh, tying back to what we talked about earlier, which is right. You're you're you've got one company that's that's trafficking in health records, student records, and criminal justice records, and then it's literally talking. It's using health or medical language with its juvenile justice language. I also see down the line that this will be part of the reimagined policing reforms, right? As much as we need to reform that, I can guarantee you there's going to be ulterior motives for that reform where it's probably going to be worse than it was before they changed it. And I've already peaked at, uh, I think it's the uh, Federal Justice and Policing Act. I can't remember the title right now, uh, but all sorts of stuff on uh data mining, data tracking to help with, uh, to, to, to help track whether or not there was uh, uh, some racial disparity or something like that, or uh, uh, implicit bias. Uh, but you also hear a lot about uh, using mental health professionals instead of the actual uh, police to come to, to the house. Um, that sounds, I know some people just laugh it off. Other people might say that sounds like it's uh, not as not as dangerous as an armed guard coming there. But one thing you need to, to understand is that Medical records, although they, they want to put it all on one blockchain platform at this point, cannot be, there's no due process involved in that. Like if you're deemed medically incompetent, you don't have a voice. There's a whole documentary called The Guardians about how when people get old enough in this retirement place in uh, Vegas, that uh, these people come in, they find out that they got money, they get a doctor to say that they got dementia or something, and then you get a guardian, a public guardian, or they can be a corporate guardian, and they're all in it together. And they come in there and take hold of you. And there's no due process involved in that. Like once, once, the, once the medical establishment gets involved, uh, you know, it's worse because you, you, you know, you, you can't really appeal. You can't, there's no appeals process. So, um, this this one device is going to not just you know restrict access to your schools uh, based on your your medical records. It looks like it will also be meeting out uh, criminal justice either punishments or you know risk at risk prevention for the students as well. Yeah, it, you know it's in the topic of you know how do we stop this and 
um, and policing, you know, because that is a hot topic, right? Obviously, um, you know, it's being pushed in the media and, you know, people's attentions are on that. And so what I would say is that, you know, the people fighting um, the police, you know, in repression of, you know, need to pay attention to this stuff. You know, that policing is not just about the physical attitude of an individual, an individual bad apple, an individual cop. Uh, policing, the way I see it in, in, you know, in the carceral state, you know, like uh, it's about isolation. It's about stripping, you know, a, 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 a person non grata from their um, functional aspects of being a, a member of this society, right? Like that's what, that's what pre this prison system does. It strips people from the ability to access housing, you know, comfortably from accessing, accessing a job, you know, in, in, you know, and even voting, right, in, in many places. Um, and so that's what I see, like, when I look at the history of, you know, that's one something uh, Alison talks about, you know, what, what is the role of policing, you know, as a socialist Marxist, you know, policing is about exploitation. It's not, it's not you know, a moral argument. It, it's about exploitation. And, and this is the evolution of that. You know, we, 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 we look at slavery, we look at you know uh, Jim Crow. We look at mass incarceration. For me, this is the natural sequence of of evolution from mass incarceration into this something else, a techno fascist world. And so we need to understand it that way more than just you know um, that cop just got you know sentenced to maybe forty years. Uh, it's more than that. It, it's an institution, you know. And and so how do we stop this? More people need to understand it that way. You know, rather than you know a, a, an individual act of uh, you know of violence uh, in 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 understanding fascism in a multi-dimensional you know way, rather than just the time and a place in Nazi Germany, you know fascism has always been part of this system, you know of capitalism and of the the history of the U.S. and this is just the evolution of that. And so for me, it, that's important that we understand how we're not just fighting that bad cop on the streets. We're not fighting the riot police. We're fighting the techno-fascist state, you know, taking shape right now. I would, yeah, I, 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 you reminded me too. Uh, one of the articles I wrote last year, uh, socio-emotional thought crimes in American schools. Um, when I was doing my research on that, I was gonna, I was looking at how these wearables and stuff like that would be used to actually under the, in the guise of racial equity, actually, uh, exacerbate the problems uh, by creating racial databases. But what I found in doing that research was when you hear about no cash bail reforms, what they already have lined up to replace it is algorithms. And it's basically social credit, credit algorithms. So first of all, money still will be a factor because your, your employment hits not just how much money you make, but how can you keep a job? How frequently have you been fired? Um, you know, your school records, all that type of stuff. They're gonna they're gonna look at that. Are you married? Other demographics, right? Uh, uh, and they're gonna take that risk assessment. And there's several different programs, and they're in that uh, article. Um, that basically that will determine whether or not you get bail. I mean, and this is this is basically just just another version of social credit. And I should I should mention that. Um, well, before I before I jump on that. IBM and Salesforce. I also want to mention that, you know, when we're talking about stuff like this, there's there's now all this talk about conspiracy, you know, the conspiracy theorists 
and whether or not somebody's not mentally uh, competent because, you know, for us, for instance, right, we, we don't like vaccines. So are we mentally incompetent or mentally? In other words, once you put that mental health uh, provision on the criminal justice provision with all the speech censorship that's out right now, because we're uh, having a, a discussion about the safety of vaccines, right, you could get an in this in this new system, a knock on the door by a, a mental health counselor who has policing powers. If you don't abide with, you know, I don't know their checkup. Maybe they want you to take some meds or something. Um, and so, so that's that's how all that blurs together. But I did want to just add too that so IBM's got a, a a blockchain platform where they're servicing these vaccine passports, and it it works with the Excelsior vaccine passport or immunity passport in New York. But also Salesforce is, is invested in this IBM change. And Salesforce is invested in the Alibaba company, which is the, one, the main uh, company that runs the Sesame social credit system in China. All right. And so, so it's a direct connection to that whole platform through the vaccine passport and into all the criminal justice stuff. Yeah. And I think that's probably the where, again, why I was interested in looking at China and mostly because I do believe the, the vaccine passports that are being largely beginning to be rolled out are sort of the uh, early development stage for a broader social credit system, uh, social credit system that it will be implemented to, to assess people, um, to judge people. And, um, you know, one of the things there, it's more, it's, it's more advanced in China, but they've already, and we, they already developed a, a thing where you can, uh, an app where you can r- report uh, to assist to the to the state essentially, um, who's kind of putting out bad news? Who's putting out bad information? Um, we ourselves have been subject to things like that under YouTube. So it's not like those systems don't exist here, but they're institutionalizing them and making them again, putting them into a situation where it, you doing those sorts of behaviors could have affect your employment status can infect, you know, who visits you and who tells you, wait, are you okay? You get a wealth, a, a wellness check from somebody and you're like, and, that, and that's going to be frightening. Um, like, like you said, it, um, because, and that's what it's meant to do is intimidate. Um, and, and it is a situation where like the, the various levels of, of who, who has access to, to certain things and that, and the segregation of those sorts of things is like the way things are in prison, where you have people who are kept in solitary and keep people who allow yard yard areas, other people who get even greater. If you're good, you get greater access, but it's all controlled by people at the top. And that's, I mean, I think Allison has mentioned this, the, 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 the U.S. state, the Chinese state, all of them have models of essentially an open air prison for their countries um, to, to, again, separate the wealth from the rest of us and to, and to Chris and to concentrate that wealth to the top. Um, and I do believe it will require a change in the policing in order to make that happen. Cause you can't, you can't separate wealth and just have cops do it. I don't think it's going to work that well. You are going to need a much broader and more robust uh, control system than just as provided by police on the corner. Cause that is what I believe the role of police are is to protect the property of the wealthy that that's what they protect and serve. But they are not going to be strong enough. That that institution is at this as it is constituted right now is not strong enough for the level of wealth separation that the capitalists have planned 
from of taking from all of workers. And I think it was best articulated by the World Economic Forum when they when they put out the idea of, you know, you're not going to have any property and you're going to be happier. Um, I think that should give you an idea of what they're preparing us for. Um, and uh, and again, I think, you know, Jake, a lot of your friends would say that's communism that they're plotting. That to me is not communism. But 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 I do. I do think that what people should be afraid when World Economic Forum is saying something like that, because they do plan on taking from you. And I guarantee you, there are going to be people who will own property under that situation. But it's going to be a very small group. Yeah, it's feudalism for sure. <laughs> Techno feudalism, right? It's like going back in time. Uh, we should note that the World Economic Forum has their own uh, common pass uh, vaccine passport. So, and then and then the United Nations has a COVID pass, or at least they sponsor the COVID pass. Um, so, you know, uh, in addition to having an incentive, they're actually uh, pushing that stuff. And then if you right take a look at this book here, this is Klaus Schwab's book. Uh, one of the main chapters in here is on integrating blockchain uh, identity management, right? Blo blockchain systems for your distributed ledger technology. So uh, they they don't just push it; they're basically invested, invested in. You know, I have one question, and this um, I wish I would have asked it earlier. But so you have, and I'm wondering who. So you've got Sputnik and the Russian vaccine, and you've got. Moderna, Pfizer, the U.S., and you've got AstraZeneca, which is European, and you've got Sinopharm and Sinovac, which are Chinese and China's, and Pfizer is also in Israel. But what is the relationship between who vac which who vaccinates you and the vaccine passport? Is there a relationship between those two things? Like, because China, it's it, it really seems to be China is, was initially using their passport as a way of saying. You can get a passport from us if you get the Sinopharm and Sinovac vaccine. Now they're starting to open that up to Moderna and Pfizer. That wasn't true before. But is there a relationship between who wins and in terms of spreading the use of their vaccine and this vaccine passport, or are those two separate operations? Does that make sense, that question I'm asking? Yeah, yeah, it does. I, I mean, I haven't thought about that like that. It, it does make sense uh, because you're saying there's, a, you know, there's a disparity in uh, not there's not just differences in the technologies and who's giving them out. But with this with your China example, right, like uh, they were they were giving different uh, um, privileges. Uh, there we go. Thank you. Different privileges based on which one you got. Right. And um so that's interesting. I mean, you know, immediately I would think that it's probably it's probably just a matter of money, you know what I mean, and and, and just getting rid of the. I, I off the top of my head, I can't think of any other uh, political power plays that could be involved. But who knows? I mean, I, you know, that's not something I haven't I have enough uh, overview to to yeah. To, to yeah. The only thing I can think of is again just looking at what's happening and I. Guatemala, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, it, it seems to me because a lot of countries that don't have this technology, they're just dependent, right, on the ones that do, and and so it, it almost seems to me that there is a, a carving out, right, of the world. That it kind of reminds me of Africa a little bit, uh, you know, when when like the power, the imperial powers, you know, decided who was to keep what, and so. You know, and that leads me to also think about, um, you know, the whole industry of 
travel, you know, which they were willing to sacrifice, right? And, you know, in, in, in the name of, you know, this new world order, uh, because that's not going to be necessarily the industries that are where the wealth is going to come. And, and so, I don't know, I'm just, I don't know if I'm making sense, but I'm just thinking of, of, about, um, you know, that there is, it's, it's a, sorry, like a geopolitical, you know, game of influence right now. And, and so even, I, I wonder if these passes are gonna become one pass in the world, basically. That's what I'm wondering. Or they're gonna keep their, each their passes to control their own area of influence. You know, that's what I'm wondering. I don't know if you have any thoughts about that. My tendency is to think that these will be passports. Since data is going to be the new oil, passports and social credit systems are going to be the, the basis by which nation states compete for the data of the populations that they control. And so I do think there's a new great global game going on. And we can start part, and I do agree with you, Eduardo, I mean, uh, Kenny, that the, the, the pushing of your vaccine and getting your shot gives you an edge towards collecting the data of that set of that population out of that region. Um, how that's going to intersect with the passport, I'm not, I mean, I'm not entirely sure, but um, that's, that's how I see it. I don't, I don't see this as one global passport. Eventually, I see this as part of a economic competition of markets and of also controlling who has access to, to certain labor markets, right? Because there's gonna, it's gonna be now a global market of skills that you're gonna, and the broader set of skills you have access to uh, as a nation state and your corporate centers, uh, you, have an, uh, you have an advantage over your competitor. Um, but I think this would be interesting to hear Jake, because I, I think this would be an area that maybe, I'd be curious what you would say about that, Jake. Well, I'm hearing, I'm thinking dialectically again now, uh, which is because I mean, I'm thinking Cold War stuff. And that, and by that, I mean, I'm thinking right now with China, you know, you know, uh, especially when Trump was in there, not still a lot of, you know, Fox News a lot, you know, China, woo, China, China. But in the meantime, we're investing, got Salesforce over there. I mean, we've been building them up forever. And, you know, the social credit system, like uh, uh, it's not just Salesforce, it's um, BlackRock as well. And uh, it's one of the largest investment forums on the planet. And you got two, two people on Biden's uh, cabinet. Um, they're, in a, they're in an article I wrote uh, on, on Gates Foundation Distributed Ledger Technologies. We'll, we'll put it in the link um, I can't remember their names right now, but my point is, you know, uh, similar stuff, you know, during the Cold War with Russia, you know, we, we, we were, were over there, uh, Anthony Sutton documents it thoroughly in these books here, he's got three volumes, Soviet technology and, uh, or Western technology and Soviet economic development. Um, I think a lot of that, it's, it's advantageous to uh, at least have the veneer of competition. And I'm not saying that there's not competition, but I think it's a very limited competition when you think about combines and multinational companies and their footholds across all those lines on the map. And there's the, the advantage is twofold. One is you can scare your population to the boogeyman that's on the other side of the line. Uh, and, and in doing so, um, 
you can you can bilk them into you know going along with your experimental vaccines or building up your armaments or whatever whatever is the incentive to get the public to go along. So um, I, I think that I I think that that's that that's there as well. And um, you know I just when I think about the whole social the whole social credit thing, uh, you're right that by creating uh, at least some level of competition and also the appearance of competition, um, it's it's easier to 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 dupe your own to dupe your own people um, and to maybe sneak some of that stuff over here at the same time because like I said at the same time we're we're basically slowly importing that that system over here so um, I don't know how clear that was. That is and. Just because this is an episode, Jake, I've never haven't talked to you, but this is an episode I hope to do one day on what's left, because I believe we are standing right on a fault line between what is historically that libertarian so-called conservative position around what's going on, New World Order, and the Marxist, what I would say, the Marxist view of what's happening, which is mo most mostly a competitive thing. So uh, Kenny just just opened up a question that exists right on that fault line. Oh, I thought I thought you. I was gonna say, well, hey, you know what? You guys said you wanted to come over on my tiny little channel, and uh, you guys can come over and just yeah, we could just talk about that, and you guys can tell me what you all think. And uh, I want to have the conversation here too, though. Okay, okay, yeah, here too. Yeah. I was I was just publicizing our previous conversation <laughs> about y'all coming on the show, but yeah, no, I, and you know, I was I was looking back there for a second because you know uh, that's Orwell as well. You know, the whole idea, we were always at war with East Asia. We were never at war with Eurasia. And then we were always at war with Eurasia. We were, you know, and so the boogeyman changes, um, but really, and he doesn't explicitly say it in there, but, you know, that's that's just a means of terrorizing your own people so that they have a reason to cling to the power structure, basically. Any last thoughts, maybe, is it worth saying, how do we stop this? I mean... We could talk about it, but my first thoughts are like, right now our unions are are inviting it in, like with the date, with the contact tracing, all even the stuff that's happening there is all bringing it in. So it's like the first thing we have to recognize is that these passports and contact tracing and all these various things that are about us giving up our information to a digital center that they say is decentralized and is private, all of those are giving up our, our not just our privacy, but our ourselves to a to an entity that means no means us no good means us harm and means to use us so I, I i guess it's hard for me to talk about fighting it because i feel like so many people haven't even decided that what's coming is wrong um, and has to be fought so that's something i feel like i want to say for me you know, obviously, you know, I am a socialist because I, I believe in democracy and that it has to be in the hands of the masses. And so what for me, the one thing that has to be answered by every individual is, you know, whether this world is better, whether that is freedom, whether that is, you know, the, the society they want to live on. Um, I can force that on people, you know, and the only way I, I can fight it the way I see it, yes, obviously speak up, yes, speak out, but it's to fight that within myself, you know, that world and show that liberty is better, you know, and that there is something better than that, you know, and, and kind of lead by example, that's where I'm at right now, that 
you know, oppose these systems and, and show that I, you know, I, I have a good life, you know, because otherwise, why would people want to disconnect from the matrix? You know, if if we ourselves are, you know, who are in pursuit of freedom, we're not free, you know, in in in, in, in imprisoning our own struggle. And so, for me, that's part of it. You know, it it's part of, you know, it's yes, you know, fight, organize. But also, you know, Asata Shakur said that, you know, that being a revolutionary is also creating, it's about creating a better, um, you know, world, a happier world, a more fun world, a joyous world. So we, it, it has to be part of that, um, you know, and, but because again, if people don't want to disconnect, what can I do? You know, that's the democracy, that's the, that's the will of the people. And so we have to gain the will of the people showing that there is something better out there than that. And that that's a prison that we're being, we're building right now. I like what you said about living by example and basically just, you know, be, being the change that you uh, wish to see in the world as Gandhi said, and uh, you know, uh, not to, not to be all sound preachers, but, but, you know, I, I'm a Christian and just in terms of the idea of what the original church did like Gandhi, uh, you know, the whole nonviolent thing. And it's, it might take a few, I don't want to use the word martyr and sound like a religious fanatic or something, I, but you, you, we really have to be willing to, when you, you know, just speak the truth, live the truth, witness to the truth, be willing, be willing to die for it, not fight for it or kill for it, but be willing to die for it. And when I say fight, fight, I mean, you know, physically. Now, I'm not a, not a pacifist entirely. I've been doing martial arts for 20 years. But my, but my point is that what you just said is, uh, and it kind of relates to this whole, that whole dialectic of the Cold War idea. It to, they want us doing this. You want everybody arguing and fighting. So um, the most important thing for me, I think is just, is just being there. And it might be that, you know, somebody like, uh, you know, Andy going out there and, and teaching, you know what I mean? On, on a weekend and, and, and taking and being willing to take whatever flack he gets and then hoping that whatever happens from that, he's going to, people are going to see that and that's, what's going to inspire people. And then, and, you know, and that's, what's going to do it. It's going to take a few people to, you know, to get their hands dirty first, like, you know, uh, it's no one's going to follow, you know, the, the people like Andy that are taking risks like that, you know, uh, right away. You know what I mean? But but I believe that, you know, the human spirit is such that, you know, there's there good is true and good is real. And people people will, will see that. And, uh, you know, they'll they'll have they'll have our back when they see that, like you said, that we live good lives and we mean well and we're not here to. To, to fight anybody uh, we're just here to defend our what is what is right and and uh and be peaceful otherwise i think that what this year has uh this school year has opened my eyes i was in conversation with um two close teacher friends of mine and as we were discussing my position on the reopening of schools on vaccinations and testing and passports uh, in one of those conversations, I, I had said, well, even when people do get vaccinations, look, uh, 500 teachers were exempt, about 500 teachers were exempt, which for 
good reasons or non reasons it's just it, it the what my 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 whole thing my criticism about it isn't so much that people have a right to be exempt if they have any medical illnesses or if they have any you know they're just worried it was that the whole idea of having um the the the, the fight for vaccinations was on the top priority list for teachers as one of the reasons why they would support going back to school reopening but it's a farce because that's not exactly the reason why it it's 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 teachers being um, gaslighted by um, the government and by everyone and institutions uh, into thinking that these are the things that we need but really it's all a transition for this great world order which is going to be more of this um, fear and trying to in, in make passports um, forming the groundwork for biometric digital identity systems, right? And so I, I think that um, um, when my when my conversation with my friends was, they were saying, you know, I'm throwing teachers under the bus, I really have come to now, and I don't mean this as a disrespect or don't want to offend any of my teacher friends watching this, I, I do love them and I do support unions and I obviously want to support them, but I do think that I have been, my eyes have been opened that my fight and my my struggle will be with mostly people who aren't as educated, so to speak. Well, my fight will be mostly with people who are on the ground, workers and families and communities that are struggling and understand intuitively, maybe not be able to articulate it in any form artistically or literary or academically or scientifically or any way that may be in the sphere of the educated world. They may not have that language, but intuitively they know for sure that they themselves are the, are the uh, instruments of change. And they, they only, and, and by finding ourselves and by and being together, we empower each other. Because I, I used to think that I empower them, they empower me, and we empower each other to really um, fight against these forces. And that's the biggest change for me, and I will continue in that fight, I will continue in that struggle. And it's unfortunate because I used to think that because I worked in public education for more than for 15 years, that my greatest allies were people who were in the schools district, right? The people who were, at least in my sector, right? And I, I'm not talking about the service industry or the medical industry, but just in the area that I worked in, because I think I have to start wherever you're at, is the, I thought my allies were my educator friends. You know, I thought they were my educator friends and I still hold them very dear to my heart, but I have found that they have been easily duped, easily gaslighted, and unfortunately they have bought into this and um, the fear of COVID um, and the shock doctrine has really worked. Um, uh, and I think that uh, I just hope that the union and its direction and its leadership will eventually come to know this as working families have gone to, have intuitively known this, right? And I will, that's where I think I will be. And, and I'm, I'm very, I'm still though hoping, I'm still hoping that there is um, some dissident voices within even in those institutions, such as I'm heartened to see that Michael Caine and his work in New York with his caucus, what he is doing, even within his circle and with his, within the institution, uh, everyone should read the resolution that he put out recently with his, um, with his own um, colleagues and one of the most radical things that I think that I, this is why I wanted to pull it out. One of the things that, and everyone should read it, but one of the things that he had mentioned, which was, I don't know how 
I mean, he is, he is a, sort of like me where he picks his battles and he chooses his words carefully and his approach to this, not like maybe Jake or Andy. <laughs> and Kenny says he has a different way of doing this. But he did say something that I thought was very radical. And he said this. He says that whereas in Nazi Germany, the segregation of Jews was argued as addressing, quote, public health. The ultimate goal of health passes whereas the ultimate goal of health passes and passports is to lay the groundwork for a biometric digital identity system where all information and data about any individual is run through one interoperable system, i.e. your international travel passport, vaccine pass, medical record pass, employment pass, domestic travel, EZ pass, tolls, your financial transaction pass, all purchases and taxations, as well as communications and data from your phone, all of which could be monitored on one single dashboard in real time. And so I'm, I, I think I'm, I don't want to let go of the idea that, that there's still within the so-called professional class, because I do think that there were the working class, but they're acting as that they're not. They, even teachers in this area, I think that there is still hope at least for people like who are doing what Michael Caine is doing um, to fight this and, um, and going against standing 100% against the Excelsior Pass that was created by the currently embattled governor of Andrew Como, no? in conjunction with IBM and, and all that. So I, I really am heartened to see his work. And, and even when I have tried to talk about this, his work to other teacher friends, I think he's a kook, right? It's yeah. unfortunate, even though I don't really think he's as blatantly talks about the fourth industrial revolution as Jake and Andy <laughs> or as Allison have done here. But even then, he is still seen as, you know, anti-science, anti-worker, all of this and all that, and the kook. But he isn't. And I'm so glad he said that. So I do think that the, the fight has to continue. It's this long struggle, right? And uh, I'll be working on this side of the aisle as of the moment. But I'm heartened to think that Michael is doing that on, on where he is with his colleagues. That comment about the beginning of uh, the concentration camps in... Mm -hmm. Nazi Germany, 100%, before it got to uh, Jewish people and they were looking at various other ethnic traits to, to genocide, it started off with, they were looking at um, people that were would have been on the autism spectrum and uh, other mental uh, challenges. Um, and, and and they basically started off just like, well, first we'll just segregate them. You know what I mean? Because you don't want them to like make new babies. Cause then, you know, there's, there's ads like, uh, you know, this, this young man costs you 60,000 Reichsmarks or whatever, you know, that's your money, German citizen. And, and then it was like, well, yeah, you know, we could save more money if we started to just like euthanize them and stuff. And then it was like, yeah, you know, those Jewish people aren't so good either. And then it just kind of took off from there. And the company, the process, the data for the concentration camps and all of that, well, that was none other than IBM. This is by Edwin Black, IBM and the Holocaust. Uh, and there's a little picture here of the actual punch card, right? It was used, right? And, and um, you know, they had, and then they had everybody from, uh, you know, the, the uh, mentally, differently abled and then and then write a whole smorgasbord of religious opinions communists jews homosexuals jehovah's witnesses right just went on and on and on and on but 
Uh, right. So he's not just making an analogy. He's talking about the very company that wants this is the very company that was doing that. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's literally, you know, it's exactly what he's saying. Oh, that's that's a sad note. Let me. I want to ask all this. I want to add on that because because he's he's probably an example of my question. And I'll ask you this: Is it just me, or, or do I feel? I know. I mean, I know that we're we're talking about this looming, all these different devices uh, that are that, that we named, all these different passports. But is it just me, or does it feel like uh, maybe we're we're gaining a little more traction? Like, are are we are y'all hearing more people that you wouldn't have expected being at least more skeptical of the whole narrative, both COVID and vaccines and passports? I I feel that way. Maybe I'm being too optimistic, or, or, or but I feel that way. One thing that pops in my head is just Bill Maher went off the other day on on HBO, and, and I was like, wow, okay, like you know. Um, and, and people clapped when he said it. People clapped in the audience. I, I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you, do you feel like maybe there's a, a turn in the tide? For me, I'm sorry to say, oh, I'm sorry, Kenny. I'll just say that in San Francisco, I don't think so, so much, maybe <laughs> in other states. <laughs> I, I've been lucky. I've been, I've actually been connecting with people that um, have been isolated and they kind of find a, uh, you know, in Oasis, when I talk about this stuff openly, um, and you know about the story that I narrative that I think it's happening, and so I've connected with people across the country actually, like randomly through Instagram that follow my stories because I'm pretty vocal, and so I've actually I'm finding more people that are, that are that are actually quiet because they're isolated, but I'm hoping that they you know they can speak up more when you know, by getting together. Yeah, and Eduardo, you might want to come in again on this, but I think my first answer is closer to Eduardo's. And I, so the Atlantic had an article, one, what did they, what did they say? One vaccine to rule them all, right? Because they are now talking about a, a super vaccine, which you can get one injection and it has all this crap in it. It's like multiple <laughs> versions of spikes. And it vaccinates you from every version. So when I, what is that? That is the language of Mordor. That is the language of Sauron. And in San Francisco, in the Silicon Valley, I feel like we're in Mordor. We are in the land of the orcs where the whole thing starts. And out from which, at least with on the Western hemisphere, because you got your own, I think you've got something else going on in China where they have their own Silicon Valley going on there. Um, I think we're in, we're literally uh in in on ground zero for for and for the for the capital of the enemy and its plan to digitally control us all um so in, my feeling is no it i don't feel an opening yet i know that eduardo and i have are starting to get some feelers out there and find some existing allies we didn't know existed um but i will say that the i take some heart from some of the demonstrations i've seen in in europe um and in england there were like they were counted as like 5,000 by the press, but people on, on the ground were talking, they're talking up to 100,000. When you see that big difference between the way the press says it, like usually the press will say 30,000 if it's 100,000. But when they say 5,000 for 100,000, then you know that they're like a little nervous about what the hell's taking place. So I, I do think there's some hope there. Um, but unfortunately, I will say that unless 
the Chinese workers or the U.S. workers can take these things down, then the Europe then Europe has to go the same way because it's gonna the this is gonna be run by the U.S. capitalists and the Chinese capitalists. I, I understand Jake probably thinks they cooperate. I think they more are competitive, but the if the, if those two don't get taken on by their own respective classes, I feel like it's game over. Um, and so I don't think it's going to be decided by the European workers, if you if you will, because it, it, it's going to mean we have to fight here. And currently, I don't feel it. Currently, I feel mostly fear and mostly people not wanting to say anything uh, in my own environment. I'm just going just just to echo what you're saying. I think it's right. I think Andy's right. This is San Francisco, the most progressive, the most liberal. This is not this goes. This is this is the city that is happy with Biden and Harris. This is the, where Harris was born. Anything Harris says goes. Everything that Biden is doing is wonderful. Everything that, you know, everyone's just happy and relieved and that Trump is gone. I think that this is, and taking a vaccine and it's, it's, a, it's, it's like a resistant mo movement against Trump and all of the rights. And it's just become so polarized that if you don't take the, you know, we used to, I used to tell I used to say on this episode, you know, in the 60s, it was alternative. It was almost hip. It was cool to question the current big brother, the man, you know, the, 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 you know, it was just what's there in those chemical labs and all of this and acid came from the labs and all that. And there's all this like, well, you know, the, who knows what they're doing in those labs. You don't trust the government. Now, I don't know how the left has done this, but it's become, it's the left isn't, the left today is the most conservative left I've ever seen in my life, or at least in the, 30 years of my life, of course, but even the history that I've read, you know, it's just the 60s was the co-movement of saying, you know, we're going to F the government, F the man, F Big Brother, all of this. Now it's all inviting. It's trusting science. It's making sure that we are part of the scientific community and we are the rational people. Of course, you're being tricked and gaslighted by the, this government. No, it's so antithetical of what I thought the left was. And my, even my ex-girlfriend who who is a permaculturist and she's out there gardening and taking her and she, she used to be seen as the most radical person and everyone liked how she cooked and uh, and grew her own food now she's seen as like you are anti-science you are a kook you're a, all of this you know because she's very holistic and she's always been before the pandemic against vaccines but uh, no i was just gonna say you know uh i i agree that you know i mean it's like when i say the tide is turned I don't mean like this big wave. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? Like the tide. But I mean, like, you know, if it takes if it takes a whole day for the tide to come in and then back out, you know, I it's I think it's came all the way in. Mm. And I think, you know, some of the examples, I mean, you, you are you're one example that, you know, I think I that's to me, that's huge. What you what you've been doing uh over there with um Comite de las Madres, uh and you know. You know, and then like Bill Maher, like what? Like, yeah, I, I, I would have never expected him because he was all about it for the longest time. And, uh, you know, but then even in, in, in my school, I, like I've been waiting for him to like basically chart rock. And every time I think it's getting closer, it doesn't, it, it's not coming up. Like, you know, I mean, I think they want to do a lot of stuff, you know, going back with plastic and all this that I'm not cool about and, and possibly testing. But but I, I guess I, I guess I expected the the passports and and the mandatory vax and stuff to happen sooner. I, another thing I wanted to put in here was I, I uh, in addition to that to the, what you what you saw over there in the UK, I, I saw that too. Uh, but 
I think part of it might be not just, you know, it's been a whole year. People had a chance to look at the numbers, you know, anecdotally look around them. Uh, but, but the other issue is um, the J&J. I mean, that one, I think, really creeped people out as far as it getting pulled off the shelves and then just the rise in injuries from all the vaccines. So I think that narrative is getting away from them. And like you said, I mean, we don't see it as much like on the, you're not going to see it on the news. And then as we've all, all noted, when we go to work, you know, with all due respect, a lot of the people that we work with in institutions that have been through the, uh, you know, the higher education mill, those aren't the, that's not the bellwether that you really are going to look to, to, to get a sense of like, what is, what the, the, you know, human population, working people actually think and feel. And so, you know, uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm seeing glimpses of things and I am kind of extrapolating from that, but, but I'm seeing glimpses that were, that weren't there for a while. Like for a while it was like, is anybody else think this is like besides me and a few of the people I do podcasts with? And, and there's, so that's, that's kind of what I meant by, by turning. Yeah. And, and then one more thing is, you know, and out of all the time, I've stopped competing a long time ago, but the most important thing when you're competing in martial arts is endurance more than technique, more than strength, because as soon as you run out of gas, it doesn't matter how many black belts you got, you're done, right? You're done. Maybe you can survive, but so, you know what I, so I say that to say that those glimpses, you know, we just got to have endurance, you know, and just keep, you know, just keep doing what we're doing, you know, and keep speaking the truth. I think that will pick up steam. That's a good note to end on, I think. <laughs> All right. That does it for this week's episode. Um, uh, John Kleisik is the author of School World Order, The Technocratic Globalization of Corporatized Education by Trine Day Books. And he is a contributor to New Politics, uh, the Center for Research on Globalization, Op-Ed News, uh, The Entropic uh, Report, and The Dissident Voice. Thank you for joining us, John. Zara. Uh, we'll link to your work and your book and also your channel. And I hope that people will also look into uh, some of the other links that we'll post about the people we've mentioned, like Alison McDowell. And I think there's, there's a lot more to be there. And also Michael Caine's work with the New York Teachers for Choice. What's Left is a weekly political podcast as channel challenging the mainstream level. We post information about our topics and our guests in the episode notes, wherever you found this episode or on our blog at what-s dash left.webnote.com. You can find past episodes to this podcast left channel there and connect with us. I remind folks, if you like anything that you have heard here, please subscribe to our, start migrating to our other channel on What's Left Over. Thank you, Kenny, for that title. <laughs> What's Left Over. We'll link uh, that ch new channel on the description box below. Um, but we're still here. And so we'll still be around here as, as long as uh, YouTube um, eventually cancels us out. We have um, who knows? Yeah, we'll see. This is an endangered um, channel. So um, if you like anything you've heard here, though, and you can still share your favorite episode, rate, review, and subscribe to any of our eight platforms on um, Spotify, iTunes Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, on the channels BitChute, Livery, LBRY, or Library, uh, LBRY, or Odyssey, ODY. S-E-E -E or YouTube for now. And if you would like to give us feedback about something you heard or suggest something for us to cover, contact us through our blog. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-hosts Kenny Cepeda and Andy Lipson. Thank you again. John Classic. Thank you. As always. See you all next time. Ciao.
Um, so one second. I'll come back. One, I gotta put something on my dog. This is the most interruptions we've had for an episode, I think. He's gonna be a pain in the ass if I put a jacket on. Now he's gonna calm down. That helps him calm down? Yeah, it makes him very ups it makes him very sad. Hmm. But I'd rather him sad than us interrupting. I think he made him compliant. <laughs> I'm putting him this. <laughs> I'll show you. If I put him in his jacket, then he gets sad. <laughs> you don't like your jacket? <laughs> he doesn't like it. <laughs> so he'll sit and shut up.